Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hello and welcome to They Starst It with Angelica Malin, the podcast that takes you on a journey from business idea to reality with a range of inspiring, dynamic CEOs and business leaders. I'm your host, best-selling author, entrepreneur and founder of About Time magazine, Angelica Malin. And in this series, we'll be discovering what it takes to make it as an entrepreneur, from mindset to hard business lessons with some incredible, inspiring guests. Don't forget to follow me on social media at Jelly Malin for all the behind the scenes of making the podcast. Now, let's find out how they started it. Lydia Kimmerling is the CEO and founder of The Happiness Explorer, a master certified life and business coach, educator, motivational speaker and cheerleader for anyone looking to find true happiness. Lydia, thank you so much for joining me today on the show. Yeah, thank you. So good. Um, So just as a starting point, I'd love to hear about your journey into coaching, how you how you found yourself doing this work. Oh, my God. I was really unhappy. (laughs) I hit a huge crossroad myself. And I was asking questions like, what will make me truly happy? Is, is this it? Who even am I? And I couldn't find those answers. And you know what? Coaching, coaching found me. I didn't even really know what it was at the time. But I was looking for a career change. And a friend said to me, I think you'll be really good at this life coaching thing. And the words felt like, it was something that I was meant to be doing, even though I really didn't understand what it was. But I felt at the time, you know, I'm going to do this training, which was a, a course in the States. I trained for three years. And I think it's going to help me. Whatever happens, I think it's going to help me, which it did. It completely changed my life. And it turned out I was pretty good at it. So that's how I found coaching. What were you doing previously? At that point, I was pretty stuck, but I have done many different things. My, a part of my story really is the fact that I was always changing my life. I left home at 16. I actually started working in TV straight away. I was an assistant producer on T4 by the time I was 21. Then I moved to Panama and I had my own restaurant at 21 till about 24. I had enough of that. I came back. I did a bit of TV presenting. Then I was a hip hop teacher in Cornwall. I flew as cabin crew for Virgin Atlantic and loads of other little jobs along the way. So, you know, I did a lot of different things. I never feared change. But actually, when I hit that crossroad, it was because I realized I couldn't just keep chasing something in the future, hoping that that would fulfill me. So a portfolio career prior to that I don't think I've ever come met someone who has been cabin crew owned a restaurant been a dance teacher all these things and a tv presenter when you were doing these jobs were you happy or did you always feel like there was something missing yeah I loved I loved what I was doing because I've always thrown myself into everything that I've done I was always really ambitious but I do think that I the feeling that something was missing 
was always there as well, which, you know, now I know because of the work that I do that there was something missing in me. So it wasn't really about what I was doing or what I was changing in my life. It was actually just what was about what was missing in me at the time. Mm. That feeling of being stuck, the one that kind of led you to taking the coaching course and starting this whole new adventure in coaching. When people feel stuck in that way, what kind of advice could you give them to get unstuck and find themselves on a more fulfilling path? Mm. So this is a step that I teach in my seven day program, actually, the happiness reset, that when we feel stuck, what we tend to do is want a plan. And we start trying to think of all the steps that we need to reach a goal. And we want to know exactly how everything's going to work out. But the truth is, you know, we, we actually just never know. We never know how everything's going to work out. So then what that does is it, it leaves us feeling fearful and doubtful of ourselves. And we start to convince ourselves of all of the reasons why we can't move towards what we want. Because actually, most of the time we do know what it is that we want, but because it's quite big and it feels different, it feels far away, it, it's scary, right? So whilst a plan is important, it, it comes later. First and foremost, you just have to say yes. Say yes to what it is that you want, no matter how big, no matter how crazy, no matter how unrealistic it feels, you've got to take full ownership and just claim what is in your heart for what you want for your future. And then once you do that, your energy shifts. And so I have um, something that lands and will stick and hopefully help anybody who will start right now. If you're asking yourself a lot of how questions, how stands for holding on to worry? How will I get there? How will it work out, etc. But what you need to do first is just say yes. And yes stands for your energy surges, your energy surges. And that's what you need when you feel stuck. And then and then the plan comes and the steps come. I love that about the how. It's so true. And also I love, I found when people say to me, that's not realistic. It, it, I've now managed to kind of reframe it that that's the, that's the cue that I take that I need to do something. Because I'm like, well, if you're telling me it's not realistic, I want to prove that it is. And who wants to live in reality anyway? That's so boring. And doing things that are unexpected or challenging or risky seems so, to me so much more exciting. Um, but let, let, let's talk a little bit about fear. Because... I guess this is probably like the number one thing that comes up for people is they might have a slight inclination of the thing that they want to do, that they want to say yes to, but then that fear comes up and maybe the expectation of others. So how do we overcome that fear? Yeah, fear in my experience is the number one thing, the main thing that holds us back, that's really going on underneath the surface. And look, I work underneath the surface. I'm not about just kind of scratching the surface. We need to get straight into the source of what is holding you back in your life and stopping you from experiencing life fully. And what I've uncovered over the past 10 years and thousands of hours of listening to people about what makes them happy and unhappy is that there are six happiness blocks. And these are the six key fears that show up every single time. And each one of us will have a, a dominant fear. So a fear that we're most programmed into unconsciously. And what that fear does is it starts to drive your behavior and it will sabotage your happiness and success. So those fears are the first one is the fear of the unknown. Then it's the fear of being good at not being good enough. The fear of being wrong, the fear of being judged, 
the fear of failure and the fear of change, the six of them. Fear isn't, it's not about eliminating fear. It's normal to feel fear. We have to feel fear and we have to feel faith. We have to feel positive and negative. We need it all. So it's not about eliminating it. But once you can see that that's the only thing, that's what's actually getting in your way. What I like to do is teach people how to use the fear to drive positive change, like bring it with you, use it. Let's turn that energy into something that moves you forward by addressing it and realizing it that it's actually there. I think so many people listening will identify with every one of those fears and be like, I'm, I'm all of those things. And I suppose a lot of it is around expectation of others. A lot of that fear is if I make a change, my parents are going to think this or my friends are going to say this. And like, how do we also create, I suppose, boundaries around what other people expect of us and overcome those kind of fears? For me, that's all about the relationship that you have with yourself me success and happiness boils down to what is the relationship with yourself like when we are disconnected from ourselves which is what fear does it starts to separate you from self because fear is much more from the ego than it is from that really grounded intuitive sense of trust and knowing that we all have it then starts to validate outside of ourselves. It starts to look for that power, that recognition from outside of ourselves, people, places, and things. So instead of, you know, trying to focus on the problem of, yeah, but okay, how do I not start to feel worried that my friend's going to think I'm crazy because I've decided to become a life coach? Actually just come back to yourself and go, what needs, what needs love within me? How do I heal the relationship with myself? And then those things, that doesn't matter. because you love yourself and you know yourself and that's what I think makes real success mm. so actually when we are experiencing that fear if our if our self-confidence was higher our, and our self-compassion we wouldn't perhaps feel those fears so acutely is it perhaps it's like our relationship with ourselves is being challenged by other people's expectations or or beliefs yeah but then ultimately those expectations are kind of still all your own a lot of the time, the expectations or the fear of judgment, we don't even know if it's true or not. We make a lot of mm. assumptions about what other people are, are thinking. Um, I think what I say, I have an affirmation, is that fear is safe. Fear is safe. And it's once you start to understand and understand it and look at it, it won't be as strong. But yeah. You know, we all need more confidence at times. In fact, confidence and courage, when I ask people, you know, okay, where are you on a scale of one to 10 in terms of feeling happy and successful in your life, 10 being the highest? Let's say they land at a seven. I'm like, well, what do you need more of to go from seven to 10? It's usually confidence, more confidence, more courage. Mm. I feel that we, we all have unlimited amounts of confidence and courage it's just the choice to use it and knowing that when you're creating change when you're doing these things that feel unrealistic because you're aiming higher you're leveling up there needs to be the expectation that it's going to feel scary so you've got to do it whilst you don't feel courageous whilst you don't feel confident and then you gain that after doing the thing that you felt fearful about mm. Yeah, it's the experience of actually doing it that builds your confidence with it. 
Yes. Mm, it's true. Do you, do you think some people are naturally born more confident and courageous than others, or is it something you can just develop as a skill? Mm, I haven't thought about that before. I'd imagine, yes, in some ways, because personalities can, from my understanding, also kind of be passed down in a sense. And if you've had an upbringing where you felt really uh, really loved and safe and comfortable, I'd imagine this would make it easier for you to be the fullest expression of yourself. But anything can happen in life, can't it? I think most most of us when we're toddlers you know we're we're all quite confident we're not yet affected by life Mm. and by the world and then over time we start to put those filters in those fears come in because we've experienced things that are painful or shame or guilt all that horrible stuff that just really makes us feel stuck in life Mm. I found as I've got older the things that didn't daunt me at all when I was in my 20s, like career changes, moving around, whatever it was, making those big decisions. As I've got older, I've found I've, I've, they generate more fear. And I, I, I naturally want to take more risks <clears throat> and the risks feel riskier. And I don't know if that's um, just an age thing of being in a different position financially, having more responsibility. But I think it's also partly about expectation. When you've, when you've done a certain career path for a certain number of years or your friends know you for something or you've built a reputation in an industry, making those changes to me feels more daunting. I think it's like an identity shift as well a little bit. Um, I, I don't have a question there, but that's just something that I've, <laughs> I've, I've noticed that it's, it can be more daunting to keep making big decisions as you get older and the expectation of others um so coming back to your career so you made this shift you trained to become a life coach and then how did you develop the happiness explorer um kind of programs and and start teaching other people to be coaches as well Mm. so it was new year's eve 2013 that i made some big changes in my life and I say that then that year that followed was the year that changed my life and over that time there was there were so many synchronicities that just kept moving me towards my yes moment which I talked about earlier and for me that was to live in Ibiza. I happened to meet a woman on one of the trainings I was doing at the time who was moving to Ibiza. We then decided to do a retreat here which is where where I'm speaking to you from today and then actually unfortunately she fell quite ill and I I needed to start my business on my own so I I had it's not well I want to say I had no other choice because I'd moved to a new country I had one client and very little money in my bank so I just went for it and then I was speaking on a lot of retreats at the time and I remember one day just explaining what I did in the sense of, well, yeah, you know, I help you explore and find more of what makes you happy. And it was later that day that I was like, oh, I'm the happiness explorer. That's what I do. And when I started to share it, people felt they they were resonating with it. And it seemed like it was something that people wanted to belong to, too, an identity that people wanted to associate with. So I actually changed the name of the company at the time because it was called Life Cleanse at the time, and I changed it to the Happiness Explorer. And 
I was working a lot one-to-one at the time, but I I felt it was time to start working one-to-many instead of one-to-one. And a lot of coaches were coming to me and saying, you know, how how have you made so much success online? They were really struggling. They were ready to give up. And there were two traits that I noticed which were common for each coach. And that was they'd either done a fast track course, so a weekend or even eight weeks, or even 12 weeks, and it just wasn't enough. They, they weren't skilled enough in the profession. Mm-hmm. Uh, or they'd had zero business training. So they may have been great coaches, but they didn't know how to get themselves out there. And I felt so passionate about coaching. I loved it so much that I thought that maybe I could create a training. And that's when I developed the 12-month accredited, ICF accredited, become a coach training that I have. And how was it getting that program off the ground? Did you find you had like a high demand from for the start or was it a bit of a change because you were, you were suddenly going, I suppose, B2B more? No, it went really smoothly for me. And I think that that's because I had so much one-to-one experience that and clients for years prior. It's quite a natural progression for a lot of people to receive coaching and then want to move into coaching because it, when something changes your life so much, you you want to share it with the world. So I already had a number of people that were like, yes, if you do this... I want in and and thankfully it's it's kept going strong from there and you still do one-to-one coaching yes I do so now my client is or are really ambitious life livers who are either at the top of their game or who want to up their game and I help them to really just make their life even better by connecting to their true self so For me, one-to-one, it's a personal and spiritual journey that I take people on. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. This season of They Star Stick with Angelica Malin is proudly sponsored by Funderbean, a global investment and trading platform. Funderbean serves 25,000 investors from 133 countries and has over 60 companies from Europe and Asia listed on the Funderbean exchange. Funderbean's marketplace operates 24-7, 365 days a year and has helped private companies raise more than 25 million euros in funding. Funderbean is a female-founded business founded in 2013 by Kaidi Rousselep, a former CEO of Nasdaq Tallinn, who will be hearing from later on this series. If you'd like to explore the world of startups and growth companies, visit their website, www.funderbean.com and give them a follow on social media at Funderbean. Thank you to our sponsors, Funderbean. 
what do you think makes a great coach? Because I feel like it's such a, a saturated industry. And I think because the, the term coach isn't regulated as such, you do get quite a lot of kind of cowboy coaches that perhaps have done really short courses or not trained at all and calling themselves a coach. So if someone is looking to work with a coach, what in your eyes makes great coaching? For me, it's always been about really getting to the source of what's going on. So for to be a great coach, to be a masterful coach, you have to know how to get yourself out of the way. And there's a misconception with coaching that coaching is advising, it's telling people what to do. And at least how I've been trained in coaching and being certified with the International Coaching Federation, I've been taught that it's it's really just about the client that's in front of you. So you have to be so curious and you need to be able to listen at such a masterful level that you hear so much more of what's going on. You're always just asking yourself, who is this person that sat in front of me? And it, I think it comes as a surprise, even for my students, when we start training them that that you need to get yourself out of the way and really make this about the person in front of you and not about yourself. And I think that that's what lets a lot of coaches down is they just tell clients what to do. And, and you don't you don't get the best results with that because you're not changing them from the inside out. Mm-hmm. And also, I guess your idea of what they should do might not be the right one for them. And like when someone gets somewhere in their own time and through their own process, it's the right answer for them. And it's, there's something about, I think, in that relationship when you are giving advice that I think kind of breaks the the coaching relationship because I think the coach should be neutral and can be like a guide. The way I see coaching is like a guiding hand in the same way that I would see perhaps a therapist, but not someone that takes you to a destination or tells you what to do because it's about building that confidence within yourself to be able to make those decisions and get yourself on the right the right path. And that's what I really love about coaching is I think it gives you a lot more tools than just going to a consultant. I found when I had lots of one-to-one coaching and then I stopped for a while and I was facing problems in my work or challenges at home, I was able to coach myself better because I kind of understood the process of the kind of questions that I'd been asked before and how they'd helped me. And I think that's where what's really powerful. And someone just telling you what to do is is just doesn't work in the long term because then you just have to keep paying them to see them, which yeah. works for that. It works for them as a business model, maybe, but for you, I don't think it actually builds your confidence at all. I used to say that. I used to say to people, "Look, I want to work with you until you don't need me anymore. That's what mm-hmm. I want. I don't want you to rely on me." And this, there's this additional bonus that happens when you are coached, and it happened to me and I see it every time, and it's so beautiful, is that through this self-inquiry, and because a coach is masterful at asking those, those questions that evoke the answers within, we feel more intelligent. The coachee becomes more intelligent because it may be the first time that they've ever been trained, in a sense, to be able to articulate what it is that they're feeling. Like You know what it feels like. You know when somebody's like, or what's up? You, you know, you don't see yourself and you, you can't find the words to explain. You feel a bit stupid when you can't mm. explain what's going on inside and how you feel. But my language and the way I'm able to communicate is so much better than it was. And I certainly I feel smarter for it. So that's an additional bonus that 
I love to see happen for my clients. Mm. Yeah, it's almost like our language doesn't, it doesn't really reflect sometimes how we're feeling. And like the words that we're using aren't quite exactly what's going on. And something about being coached, you understand the nuances of these things, even saying things like feeling stuck. I think stuck is quite a coaching phrase but it's it's very much what people feel a lot of the time is they're not unhappy but they're just not they're not moving forwards they don't have that sense of momentum and I think a lot of people resonate with with feeling stuck um I want to touch a little bit on values and how important values are for you and perhaps also how they manifest in your day-to-day life values is something that I teach in my coach training and it always really lands for the students because it's not something we're necessarily taught about and yet it really helps you to be on your on your path and so you know you'll know that you are not aligned to your values if you just kind of feel a bit off track and you're not really sure what it is but something's missing this is usually a sign that you need to look at your values and my personal values are really similar to the company values the thing that and they kind of switch around in order, but one that I'm prioritizing right now is fun. I have seen time and time again that I flourish and my business flourishes when I'm just having fun. So that's my leading value at the moment. I really value kindness. I really try to lead with that. Um, and of course, exploration and progression. Um, sometimes so fiercely that it's like, okay, can you just <laughs> slow down, stop trying to change things all the time? <laughs> but when I'm not changing, I don't feel like my life is on purpose. You know, I'm not aligned to my truest self when I'm not progressing. Those are, those are my core ones. I love that about fun because I think it's so it's so true. And I think we think work has to be a slog and it has to be hard and bringing fun in is, is so important so fun for you how does that kind of manifest in your in your life what does fun look like for you oh, I've been exploring this and I had this insight the other day that fun doesn't have to be the activity itself it's a state of being this and this was profound for me because I as a single mum my son's four and a half feel like at times I'm restricted around that expression of fun because I want to, or, or how I've known fun to be in the past would be you know, being with friends, going out, having that freedom. So it had to change. And I realized that it doesn't have to be in, in the, the activity. It's, it's in me. So if I have a lightness, if I bring fun to just everything that I do. I, re- I really try to do it with putting the washing out because I hate putting the washing out. But I challenge myself, I'm like, okay, how do you create a fun state of being with this? And then it might be thinking about something else. Even that just makes me giggle because it's just ridiculous, but <laughs> it works. I love putting the washing out. It's one of my favorite. I hate doing oh the dishwasher. God. Dishwasher, okay. no. <laughs> washing, washing, I'm there. Like, that's fine, but washing. Um, and like maybe sounds like a basic question but with with identifying those values is that like a process where you sit down and you journal and you write and you work out what they are or are they like an evolution as your career and your business develops and they come to you and they can change so they they can change because we change so what you valued at 
20 is probably different to what you value now. Uh, I know it was for me. And the process, I have a step-by-step -step questionnaire that we do in the course, but it's something I think you can, you need to sit down for a moment and ask yourself what's important to you. And with values, they're a bit like the, the theme that you've had in your life. You know, if you look back and you go, okay, between 16 and 20, what did I seem to move closer towards? What was the theme of my life at that time? So, for example, I obviously valued change because my life was always changing or that progression was always there. Um, or, or what do I feel like I'm lacking? And in, in the question that we have, there's just lots of words and you go through them um, and you, you, know, you circle the ones that feel like they have meaning to you. But yeah, think about when you feel most alive, when you feel your happiest, when you feel most on your path, and that will start to unpick what those values are. And if you feel stuck, actually, maybe you need to redefine your values. Maybe what was valuable to you before, you're still living old values and you've changed and they're different now. I really like this idea of following things that make you feel alive. Mine, career-wise, mine has always been like curiosity is when I just, even if it's just a small spark, if I'm a little bit curious about something or if something feels a little bit exciting, I follow it. And I've never had a plan work-wise at all. And I've never even had a six-month plan. But I found that just following curiosity has led me to the, the right places and like the things that make you feel alive. And I think that's actually more, it's more sustainable than sitting down and being like, this is what I want for myself because we're changing every day and our, our goals are changing. I had a question which I've now totally forgotten. Well, just a point on that. That makes sense that yours is curiosity because you're a journalist. So mm. your value is also playing out in the career that you've chosen because all journalists have to be curious. That's that's the point, right? What's the story here? Yeah, I actually had a light bulb moment the other day where I've always felt a little insecure about the fact that my career is so varied. And when I've sat next to someone at like a dinner party and they said, what do you do? I've always really struggled to say what I do because I do quite a lot of things. And I realized the other day that the thread that runs through everything is that I ask questions, but they're just in different settings. So I podcast, I moderate on stage. I write articles, but they're all basically question asking or answering. And I was like, oh, okay. And, there's, and then I coach and that's asking people questions. So actually there is a, a commonality of the thing I'm doing, but it's they're just manifesting in different roles. And so in future, I'm just going to be like, I'm a professional question asker. That's what I that's do. That's your purpose. So you found yeah. that's your purpose. And people, when they're seeking purpose, they tend to think, oh, it needs to be something grand. Like I need to put this really fancy job title on it. So it sounds groundbreaking or world changing. Actually, your purpose is the thing that you do most naturally without realizing it. That's this natural strength, but it feels so easy that you don't recognize it's a thing. And so what you're doing, which is great, is that you have found many different ways to bring your purpose to life. That's it. My purpose is um, helping people believe in themselves. And life coaching is just a vessel that I bring that to life in, but I bring it to life in my friendships, in, in everything that I do with strangers, because it, it again, helps me feel more alive. Mm. How do you think we can like own our sense of purpose better? Because when you say that back to me, a part of me, my, I guess my 
my inner critic is like, is it enough of a purpose in life to ask questions well? Like that's where I that's where I go. And I'm sure there's lots of people who have a purpose that like maybe to them feels a little silly or not like worthy enough. They're really great at chocolate making or um I don't know, like something random. I mean that obviously is a great purpose in life. But like how can we because I think we we almost sometimes want to take other people's purpose and be like, well that's a more worthy purpose than the thing that I'm doing. <laughs> so how do we own what our our purpose is and our natural skill set. I think there's something in that that is about attaching purpose to mission. So, of course, when you're asking questions, maybe with your friends, it doesn't sound, it doesn't feel as mission filled. It doesn't feel as purposeful as maybe when you're on stage and you're interviewing leaders in the industry, for example. So, taking ownership, first of all, I would maybe reach out to people that are closest to you and and ask them about your purpose and ask them how it impacts them and affects them positively because I think knowing is because it's so it feels so casual on a day-to-day basis you're probably not even aware of how much that is having an impact on the people around you and then I would if, it, if you want for it to feel like it's it's having a greater purpose and you've got more meaning in the world, create a bigger mission. Okay, so what what is important to me that I can use this skill within to have impact or create my legacy? Mm, that's so interesting. It's very true. It's very much linked to purpose. I sat down at the start of this year and I tried to write, write my goals for 2022 and I just ended up writing on my whiteboard ahead of me, bigger stages that was all I could come up with and I think that was it It it's like I didn't really want to change the thing I was doing I just wanted it to reach more people I wanted to do it in front of more people and so maybe it's just growing the vision for what you're doing it doesn't mean that you have to change the skill itself um so for lots of people that are listening actually there's two things I want to ask firstly it's around your core values what happens if some of your core values are in conflict with coming back again to like the expectation of others so for example one of my core values is freedom I don't like being in one place for too long I get very itchy and I like to go uh, work abroad a lot and it can come at the compromise of friendships letting people down um, expectations that I should stay put and saying no to opportunities and I'm sure lots of people will be having that sort of tension with the values that they want to embody and then the challenges it brings or the expectations of others. So I guess how can we like step into those core values and really own them? Mm. Well, what springs to mind there and where I talk about that a lot is when I'm educating around uh, happiness block number four, which is the fear of being judged. So a lot of that fear is about people pleasing. It's about wanting to be liked. And essentially, if we boil it down, it's about being loved. And as human beings, that's we all seek to be loved, and it drives us in, in many ways that we, we can't even understand. So what how you start to overcome that and not be ruled by the perception of other people's expectations is to really just take ownership of, of, you know, what it is that you want. And with that, you have to start to feel comfortable saying no. And actually, I put a post on my Instagram yesterday about this, that a lot of people in personal development call, call this being more selfish. Okay, you have to become more selfish. And 
And you know, that's hard for people to hear sometimes and it can make us all sound a bit self-absorbed. It's not about that. It's about coming back home to yourself, coming back home to yourself. And as you start to say no to things that aren't serving you or making the decisions despite the worry of other people's expectations, you, the relationship you have with yourself improves. So you come home to yourself, you feel more whole, you're reclaiming your wholeness. And from that state of wholeness, you know, when you give that to yourself, when you decide to go and work away, you feel more like you. And in the long run, I'm sure that makes you a better friend, a more generous hearted person. You can give in a way that you weren't able to give without giving that to yourself first. Mm. I don't know. Does that does that have meaning for you? Yeah, it definitely does. And when I have lived by the expectation of others more or said no to some an opportunity because I felt oh I should stay here then I felt resentful and that resentment has tainted relationships or it just made me feel frustrated and you're right and I think also in the world we're living in like you're able to be present so so well virtually that it's not I think sometimes I think it's almost like presenteeism in friendships it's the same thing as this expectation of being in the office. And the same thing kind of applies with friendships, that you can be that friend and you don't need to be physically present the whole time to, to be that for people. And that's something that I've been learning. But you're right on the people pleasing. I, I went away in February and I missed a few of my close friends, really important kind of like birthday events. And I was abroad and I felt very guilty in, about it. And I, I felt like I had to make it up. I spent a lot of money on presents afterwards. But it's... But then I was kind of like living my truth. And I made a promise to myself during the pandemic that when I was able to travel and sit with my laptop in the sunshine, I would. And so it's like, who who do you honour in that scenario? It's quite challenging. Oh, you know, I have worked so much on myself that I don't hold those expectations of my friends and they don't hold them of me. Mm-hmm. And so the work has to come within first. and. I don't know whether you had any kind of conversation with your friend about whether they were upset, what it did mean to them, but that is within you. And so usually it is this area of people pleasing that we have to start with first, which is why you hear a lot of coaches talk about kind of being selfish and um, doing what works for you first. And, And then you'll start to find that when you heal that within you, you attract the people in your life that don't hold those needs and don't require those needs to be met from you and aren't trying to get that that power and that energy from you as well. I mean, that's a bit of a bigger conversation, but you yeah, recognize it. Into my, <laughs> oh, I totally did. But my, no, we're very, we're very open. But I love this to turn into a coaching session for me. That was definitely <laughs> not the plan, but I hope that lots of people listening will identify with some of the things that I've experienced as their own, their own problems as well. Um, so final thing that I want to touch on before before we wrap, this has been such a fascinating conversation, is around money. It's something that I see a lot of coaches talking about in a quite a spiritual sense of like, we have blocks around money and we need to let abundance in and, you know, we can kind of affirm our way to having a higher income. Where Where are your beliefs around money and how much do you think kind of spirituality and sort of self-belief plays out when it comes to earning an income? That's a good question because I've worked a lot on myself and in relation to money. So ultimately, 
it's exactly that. What is your relationship to money like? And when I'm teaching around this and money blocks, I always start with, well, if money, if the relationship you had with money was like a romantic relationship, how would you describe it? And that's a great way to just start identifying how you're getting in the way. Sometimes we can end up hiding behind spiritual principles um, and like just doing the inner work as well. You know, it's both. You need both. You have to work on the inside and look at your relationship with money. And then you've got to move your feet. You've got to damn well put your prices up. Like if you need to earn more money and then you're not talking about money, you're not willing to go for the sale. You're not willing to put your fees up or whatever it might be. Or even just to start, you know, open a new bank account and make sure that you've got savings going in. Very practical. uh, But I use a lot of ancient wisdom to get this perfect circle going on where you're working inside, but it's coming outside at the same time mm, I love that about moving your feet because it's so true you can do all that work but unless you're actually going to step up and try and earn more or allow the money to come in then it's just it, it it's kind of redundant I do have a slight issue I think sometimes with with this conversation around money where it's like you just need to kind of it's your mindset and it's like you're living in a scarcity mindset and that's why you're not earning more and I think it just there are some like quite practical considerations why someone might not be earning more. And if we just root ourselves only in the spirituality, I think it's like not really fair on the individual because we also need to like take a practical view of why your business might not be earning more or you're stuck in your career financially. So I think it's a a little bit of both perhaps. Um, So just to wrap up, um, the final thing I wanted to ask is for people that are listening who are perhaps considering, um, becoming a coach or they're like early days having started a coaching business and perhaps they're looking to kind of expand and grow what are some of your top tips that you found for growing a really successful coaching business like you have yeah so I'm old school I'm let's take it back to the basics so many of my students come and they want to know about Instagram they've probably found me on Instagram and People who have been on Instagram for a long time, like myself, who've been coaching for a long time, you know, we we look and sound good on Instagram because we've done all the clunky stuff that was like awkward and weird. And, you know, nobody hopefully can remember that now. But my personal opinion is that social media is the long game and it's, it's a slower game. It takes time to build and you need to be patient with it. If you want your business to do well, go get out there and speak to people in real life. Like, that's my tip. And you can do that on the train. You can go into a cafe. You can speak to your hairdresser. There's, you are, every individual is connected to other people. And it's, it blows my mind every time when I see this show up that we're so afraid to speak to people, even coaches. Mm. Just go, when you're at a dinner party, People always ask, well, what do you do? That's your opportunity. And you have to sit yourself in as many of those situations. And that's faster. In my opinion, that is faster than slowly building um, trust and connections with people on social media because it just takes a bit more time. So I would say get out there and speak to people. That is the best and fastest way. Start talking. I know that, yeah. Um, Lydia, thank you so much for your time today. If people would like to find out more about you or perhaps sign up to one of your courses, where should they go online? Yeah, so if you want to follow me on Instagram, I'm over there most of the time, which is at Lydia Kimmerling. 
or jump over to my website. I've got a couple of freebies over there, meditations, quizzes, and so on. That's the happinessexplorer.com and all the information about the coach training, working with me one-to-one is on my website too. Fantastic. Thank you so much. I hope you've enjoyed this week's episode of They Starst It with Angelica Malin. Don't forget to hit the subscribe button to get new episodes delivered weekly and follow us on social media at Jelly Malin. If you benefited from this conversation, we'd love you to leave a review and rate the podcast so more people can find it. Today's podcast is brought to you live from Runway East, who are kindly sponsoring this series of They Starst It with Angelica Malin. I'm recording today at their state-of-the-art studio on Old Compton Street in Soho, and honestly, what an incredible place. As well as podcast studios, Runway East offers office solutions to businesses of all kinds. They do flexible contracts, and there's workspace options for everyone, from big branded offices to flexi co-working space. If you're interested in joining a super trendy co-working space, they've got sites in London and Bristol, with new ones opening later this year in Shoreditch and Whitechapel. Come here for Cake Wednesdays and Drinks Trolleys on Fridays and stay for the free coffee. Give them a follow on social media at Runway East. My business used to be weighed down by the complexities of in-person payments. Then, Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe came along and changed everything. With Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, I streamlined my payment process effortlessly. Now I can accept in-person, contactless payments right from my iPhone. No extra hardware required. What's truly remarkable is how I can cater to all of my customers' payment preferences. Whether they're using cards, Apple Pay, or other digital wallets, Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe ensure a smooth checkout experience every time. And it's not just me. Stripe helps businesses of all sizes, from local markets to global retailers, scale quickly and stay agile. To learn how Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe can help grow your revenue and reach, visit stripe.com slash tap iPhone.